India is trying to ban Proton Mail. ExpressVPN has been leaking DNS requests. Apple confirms they're breaking progressive web apps on purpose. Really lame, but are also adding virtual cards to Apple Pay. Maybe make you forget about the other thing. And an EU court has ruled backdoors illegal and a lot more. Big week. Welcome to Surveillance Support 167, where we're dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news in the past week. Thank you for being here. I'm Henry from TechWarm. I'm Nathan from The New Oil. You sure are. Uh, and today's promo segment is uh, Patreon. Uh, we can't really do this podcast without everybody on Patreon. And because of that independence and all of you people who are supporting us on Patreon, uh, we have already begun talking about, I guess, like the, the strictness of our standards that we want for our kind of sponsorships and things like that um, if we decide to roll those out. And so we just really can't do this. And even if we start accepting sponsors, we're still going to need those patrons to kind of uh, allow us to not be dependent on sponsors and allow us to say no to sponsors. Um, and so we really appreciate everybody there. And and again, all of our patrons are helping contribute to this podcast, which is for free. And also you get some perks in exchange. So you get a whole VIP version of this episode with more takes from us along the way. And also there's no promo segment, so you don't have to skip through this if you are somebody who skips through the promo every week. Um, and also you can join our Q&A as a patron. So we really appreciate all of you patrons and you allow us to do this for free, which is really cool. So thank you all. Um, and if you don't like Patreon, which is also super valid, we do support LibraPay and we also support Monero as well if you want to give back in two different ways there as well. Thank you all, and let's dive into the highlight story. All right, our highlight story this week comes out of India, where the IT ministry is trying to block ProtonMail at the request of Tamil Nadu police. I just want to throw it up there up front. Not Indian, never been to India. Would love to check it out but I, I might screw up some of these pronunciations and I apologize. So the IT ministry has decided to issue an order blocking the end-to-end -end encrypted email service at the request of TN police over a hoax bomb threat set to, sent to 13 schools. Under Section 69A of the IT Act, the designated officer on approval by the IT secretary and at the recommendation of the 69A blocking committee can issue orders to any interme intermediary or a government agency to block any content for national security, public order, and allied reasons. HT Hindu Times could not ascertain if a blocking order will be issued to Apple and Google to block the ProtonMail app. The final order to block the website has not yet been sent to the Department of Telecommunications, but the, uh, I, I don't know who this is, Mietwai, M-E-I-T-Y, has flagged the issue with the DOT. The police attempted to trace the IP address of the sender, but to no avail. They also tried to seek help from Interpol, but that did not materialize either. Uh, during the meeting, HT has learned uh, Mietwai representatives noted that getting information from ProtonMail on other criminal matters, not necessarily linked to Section 69A related issues, is a recurring problem. In an emailed response to HT, Proton acknowledged that it had received the notice about a possible block. Quote, we condemn a potential block as a misguided measure that only serves to harm ordinary people. Blocking access to Proton is an ineffective and inappropriate response to the reported threats. It will not prevent cyber criminals from sending threats with another email service and will not be effective if the perpetrators are located outside of India. We are currently working to resolve the situation and are investigating how we can best work together with the Indian authorities to do so. We understand the urgency of the situation and are completely clear that our services are not to be used for legal purposes. We routinely remove users who are found to be doing so and are willing to cooperate wherever possible within international cooperation agreements, unquote. Lots to unpack here. Somebody sent a bomb threat to 13 different schools in India, and India has decided this is a great excuse to block ProtonMail, which, um, truthfully, I it, I think is really what they're going for here, like um, in the sense that uh, the Linux experiment also covered this on his weekly podcast. And he pointed out, like, if it was Gmail or, you know, some other like huge company that everybody in India uses, they wouldn't block them. 
Like this is clearly just India is on a real war path to, to really crack down on surveillance of their people probably have been for quite a while. And I, I think this was just, you know, there's an old saying, never let a good crisis go to waste. And I think that's exactly what they saw here. Like, oh, great. This is an excuse to block Proton because it's end to end encrypted. We can never get information out of them when we ask. And now we can block them. So, yeah, right now it's just blocking the website. Uh, it's unclear if they're going to ask Apple and Google to take it out of the stores, like the App Store and the Play Store. I'm assuming that this could be gotten around with like a VPN or Tor, possibly. Uh, it, at least that's the way it sounds. Well, also, the reason yeah, why I, they I, want I, the apps blocked, most likely, is because of the circum as the um, censorship circumvention that's built into the apps. ProtonMail has built-in censorship circumvention, which is probably why they want, I assume, these are my assumptions, is why they want the apps blocked. Uh, but I also agree with you that I think Tor or VPN will probably get around it anyway. Just not good. I mean, I don't, I'm sure I don't have to tell our audience why it's like, this is not good to like screw everybody just because a couple people are assholes. Data breaches. Integris Health says data breach impacts 2.4 million patients. The organization is Oklahoma's largest not-for-profit healthcare network, operating hospitals, clinics, and emergency care units across the state. And this includes full names, date of births, contact information, demographic information, and SSNs. UK utility giant Southern Water says attackers stole personal data of hundreds of thousands of customers. Southern Water provides water and wastewater services to millions of people across the southeast of England. And they said that 5, five to 10% of their customer base was affected but they declined to say exactly how many or what data was stolen. And the investigation is still ongoing, so that number may turn out to be higher. Um, as usual, we'll keep you updated if we hear more. U.S. military notifies 20,000 of a data breach after a cloud email leak. Uh, the cloud email server hosted on Microsoft's cloud for government customers was accessible from the internet without a password, likely due to a misconfiguration. Speaking of, we haven't talked about any misconfigured AWS buckets in a long time. I think that's good. Maybe something I found changed. out why. It, huh? it did change. It did change. They started encrypting them by default. Whoa. That's why. Crazy. I forget where I heard that. But yeah, somebody told me that a couple months ago. And I was like, oh, no wonder we never hear about S3 buckets anymore. Yeah, they started encrypting them by default instead of requiring the, the customer to do it. So, wow. Yeah, that's why wow. we see less now. Yeah, well, everyone's uh, alcohol problems are going away. No more shots. Okay. <laughs> um, oh, we'll yeah. find something okay. else. Right, yeah, something <laughs> something soon will surely come about. But uh, as for this uh, military leak, the DOD is sending breach notification letters to around 20,600 individuals whose information was affected. The DOD was spilling about three terabytes of internal military emails, some of which pertain to the U.S. Special Operations Command, or SOCOM, which carries out special military operations overseas. Some of the exposed information includes sensitive personnel information and questionnaires by prospective federal employees seeking security clearances. Not a good look. Doesn't really uh, scream trustworthiness, but that happened. Twitter rival Spoutable alleges smear campaign amid security breach controversy. So uh, Spoutable is, uh, what, did, what did they call themselves? Uh, a more inclusive, kinder Twitter. A security vulnerability had exposed users' email and phone numbers, and uh, it actually gets worse than that. Troy Hunt found that the developer API was exposing information that bad actors could have used to take over user accounts without them knowing. Noting that the API returned data, including the bcrypt hash of any other user's password, plus 2FA secrets, and the token that could be used to reset a user's password. So, uh, if I remember correctly, this has been fixed. But yeah, basically, um, one of the users tried to ping the founder and be like, hey, this this is leaking user data and uh, is accusing the, the founder of like deleting his posts. 
and just basically trying to cover it up and yeah so it's a whole drama thing but either way i trust troy hunt so if he says it was leaking this data it probably was and that's why it's in the data breach section bank of america warns customers of data breach after vendor hack from infosys mccomish systems or ims one of its service providers which was hacked customer personally Customer PII, personally identifiable information, exposed in the breach includes names, addresses, social security numbers, date of births, and financial information, including account and credit card numbers. 200,000 Facebook Marketplace user records have been leaked on a hacking forum. The database contains a wide variety of PII, including names, phone numbers, email addresses, Facebook IDs, and Facebook profile information. Bleeping Computer verified some of the leaked data by matching the email addresses and phone numbers on random records within the sample dataset shared by the attacker. Prudential Financial breached in data theft cyber attack, which provides insurance, retirement planning, as well as wealth and investment management services to over 50 million people across the US, Asia, Europe, and Latin America. Prudential Financial has disclosed that attacker stole employee and contractor data before being blocked from compromised systems one day later. At the moment, the company has yet to find any indication that the malicious actors have obtained customer or client data, but the investigation is ongoing. And last but not least, the world's biggest casino app has exposed customers' personal data. The startup left one of its logging databases on the internet without a password, allowing anyone with knowledge of the public IP address to access the WinStar customer data stored within using only the web browser. The personal data includes full names, phone numbers, email addresses, and home address. The database also contains an individual's gender and the IP address of the user's device. None of the data was encrypted, although some sensitive data, such as the date of birth, was redacted and replaced with asterisks. All right, companies, and we're going to start with ExpressVPN. VPN. Oh my gosh, are you team blue, team red, or team green? Pick your VPN provider. But if you pick team red, oh no, because ExpressVPN bug has been leaking some DNS requests for years. So this removed, so pretty much ExpressVPN has removed a split tunneling feature, which essentially allows you to pick uh, a certain software that doesn't go through the VPN tunnel. They're removing it though because they found a bug that exposed the domains that users were visiting to configured DNS servers. ExpressVPN says the issue only impacted roughly 1% of its Windows users, and the company could only replicate the bug in the only allow selected apps to use the VPN split tunneling mode. ExpressVPN says they will reintroduce it in a future release, when the bug is fixed. So again, that feature is going to be removed until they figure out how to have the feature work without leaking uh, your websites to DNS. All right, we have more news out of Mozilla. Mozilla is downsizing as it refocuses on Firefox and AI. So quoting the article, Mozilla plans to scale back its investment in a number of products, including its VPN, Relay, and online footprint scrubber. Um, apparently that's not the same thing as the monitor that we just talked about last week. I, I don't know what this thing is. It's super confusing because it's Mozilla. Um, they will also shut down Hubs, the 3D virtual world that they launched back in 2018, which I seem to vaguely remember. And they will scale back their investment in Mozilla.social. The layoff will affect roughly 60 employees. Going forward, the company said in an internal memo, Mozilla will focus on bringing, quote, trustworthy AI into Firefox. To do so, it will bring together the teams that work on Pocket, Content, and AI and machine learning. Um, so personal take here. Still not a fan of Mozilla, the company. Uh, this seems really crappy. Um, I, I'm almost wondering, so I remember years and years and years ago, I might be dating myself here. Reddit hated, what was her name? Ellen Powell. She was like the chairwoman for a while. And everyone hated her because she came in and shut down a bunch of controversial subreddits and just did a bunch of stuff. 
And there were a lot of rumors back then that like, as there are always rumors like this, that like Reddit was planning to go public. And so a lot of people were speculating like she's just the fall woman. They brought her in to purposely make all these moves that nobody's going to like and are not going to be popular. But ultimately Reddit had to do to go public and make money. And then as soon as – because she was only in, in power for like a couple of years, I think. And uh, as soon as they cycled her out, everything went back to business as normal. So I almost wonder if that's what's going on with Mozilla. And just based on this, that it's like, okay, first things first. We're going to fire a bunch of people and scrap a bunch of products. Maybe that's what it is. It's like she's just the one who's going to come in, clean house, and then once she's done and everybody hates her, she's going to move on to something else and they'll bring in a new CEO that everybody can forget about. Um, like forget about all the terrible things, quote unquote, terrible things that she did. But that's just my conspiracy theory for the record. They should shut her pocket. That's what they should do. Yeah, I don't. Pocket was garbage. Nobody likes it. I don't. I've never met anyone who does. I have. It was such a stupid idea. I've because I've I've like I've like talked down on Pocket and the how you know the first thing you see when you open Firefox is sponsored stuff from Pocket. It's really frustrating. And someone yeah. like left a comment saying, I actually really like Pocket and it's really good and you should give it a chance. And it integrates with like my e-reader and I go, oh, okay. Nice. Okay, I can see the value of that. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So I guess someone does. At least one person does. If you know who you are, you left a comment probably sometime years ago. And if you're still <laughs> listening to this, welcome back. But I'll, I'll leave a link to my video if people want more on that story, I guess. Yeah. I don't know if you have anything coming out about it. But... I, I don't. It just, okay. we'll, we'll okay. see what happens. I don't know. Okay. Hopefully it's a good move. Broker that sold abortion clinic data contracted with Air Force for targeting. SafeGraph, a data broker that previously sold location data related to abortion clinics, contact, contracted with the U.S. Air Force to improve targeting cycle and decisions in contested geographies, according to documents reviewed by 404 Media. The contract was for $73,000 plus dollars, and the document also mentioned assisting humanitarian disaster recovery missions. In an email, an Air Force spokesperson told 404 Media that Safecraft did have a Phase 1 contract with the agency, but does not have a Phase 2 contract. The Phase 1 program was a feasibility study, they added. Interesting stuff. Uh, we've definitely talked about Safecraft before, and it's definitely something that comes up. Um, and for me, I, I want to say Safecraft is like automatically taken care of if you use something... Um, gosh, why am I thinking of SafeGraph with DNS block lists as like the same discussion? Um, but maybe that's totally not legit. And I'm thinking, cool. Okay. Oh, here we go. So AdGuard wrote an article in November, in May of 2022 called Not So Safe Graph <laughs> Location Tracker Revealed. <laughs> They're good. Okay. I think AdGuard does marketing blogs perfectly. Much better than Proton. Proton, take notes. AdGuard has actual value in their blog posts that isn't just for the sole purpose of making everything look bad. So, yeah. like, this is a perfect Buy article. Buy an AdGuard subscription. <laughs> right. AdGuard's fantastic. I really like AdGuard. Really like the organization. So, back in May 2022, uh, AdGuard covered this story and has, like, actual coverage of it. And they even provide... Um, a little bit of context behind the apps that utilize the SDK that's utilized from SafeGraph. So they're providing, again, real value. And they have a list of these that you can check out in this article. And then on the bottom, it says, at present, AdGuard blocks the collection of data through this particular SDK. Moreover, the list of block threats is being updated on a regular basis. We constantly monitor new threats to users' confidentiality and block them, which allows us to limit the risk stemming from unscrupulous, thank you, data collectors. That's it. That's the only bit of marketing in this entire blog post. It's all value. At the very end, they go, by the way, yeah, we saved you from this. Look at us go. That's confidence right there. That's good marketing. 
that's a confident company that knows what the hell they're doing, I think. So I guess a uh, long story short, I, I don't know. We, we, we just had a, we just had a big tangent there that I'm sure patrons will get. But if you're a non-patron summary, DNS block list can be effective against this. And it's probably one of the easiest things to do aside from just avoiding like SOS apps, like stick with open source apps when you can keep a limited number of apps on your phone. If this pretty much functions through an SDK that apps can incorporate into their device. So you don't know what to do there. Um, you can't control that really, uh, but you can set up something like a DNS block list, which should block the SDK that's utilized for this. All right. Our next story comes from Apple. Apple confirms that it is breaking iPhone web apps in the EU on purpose. Quoting the article, it turns out it's not a bug. Uh, following developer complaints and press reports about how PWAs were no longer functional after installing the recent beta, Apple has conf uh, updated its website to explain why. No surprise, the tech giant is blaming the new EU regulation, the Digital Markets Act, uh, saying that the complexities involved with the DMA's requirement to allow different browser engines is the root cause. Right now, all PWAs open in Safari, regardless of what browser you use, like anywhere in the world. And Apple is saying rather than rewrite PWAs on iOS to be more compatible with other browsers, we're just going to nuke PWAs. And then, you know, you can download whatever browser you want and PWAs still won't work. So yeah, this was intentional. But for real, yeah, Apple's being garbage and terrible. And, you know, again, I don't want to rehash it because there's already a million videos out there about it. But they're really just hiding behind. It's malicious compliance. They're just hiding behind the DMA to be like, oh, uh, I mean, we we want to help users, but we're being forced to like, no, you're just being dicks and everyone knows it and everyone is right to call you out on it. iOS 17.4 adds a new virtual card number feature to Apple Cash. And this is according to reports on Reddit, super trustworthy. Uh, Apple Cash users can now set up a virtual card number that can be used for shopping when Apple Pay Online isn't an option. I say that jokingly, but I mean, it's it's pretty legit. Like this is being referenced by many different people. So yes, it is pretty I was going to say, I think there were multiple users. Yeah, so. yeah, it's probably pretty legit. So um, Apple Cash, for those who don't know, is Apple's prepaid debit card that users have historically been able to use exclusively with Apple Pay with no card number available whatsoever. Um, money on an Apple Cash card can also be sent to friends and family, transferred to a bank, or applied to an Apple Card balance. I think, yeah, it's a really interesting way to describe it because I think people just think of Apple Cash as like, kind of just Apple's version of Venmo, essentially. But yeah, I guess technically it's kind of... That's how I've seen it used, of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's an interesting way to word it, I guess. But with iOS 17.4, Apple is giving Apple Cash customers a new way to spend their balance, even if Apple Pay isn't available. And this is to set up virtual card numbers. You can keep your card information safe with a new security code for every transaction. Easily access this card number in Safari, Autofill, and use it to shop online where Apple Pay is not available. Super cool! Um, once you opt into setting up your Apple Cash virtual card number, you can view that card number, generate new card numbers and security codes, and more. iOS 17.4 is expected to launch to the general public in early March. This is really exciting. And I think for people in the Apple ecosystem, it's a legitimate question of whether or not you need a service like privacy.com at that point. I would still say privacy.com has the advantage of being used everywhere on any device and you're not locked into the Apple ecosystem, which I think is very valuable. But with this, for what you, what you get from this is anything that has Apple Pay already, already does a fairly good job of protecting your transaction information. And if a site doesn't support Apple Pay, you can now essentially use your Apple card, your Apple Cash card, I guess, which I don't think is going to be unique per site. So it's still not as extensive 
as privacy.com from my understanding of this so far again this is a little bit preliminary but that's still super valuable and i think it takes care of the big issue which is just you don't want to share your main card on different websites so yeah i think it's cool but privacy.com is still going to be better also underrated thing for pretty much all aliasing services not all but like generally it comes along with using an aliasing service it's easy to swap out the back end right so um if you were on mm -hmm. skiff but you were using simple login for all of your registration and everything you literally just, you don't just have to switch to out any of your accounts. Right. Or also, you can also own your own domain. I know people are already saying that. That's an option too. But if you don't want to self-host your own domain, <coughs> if you're using simple login for everything, you just change the behind-the-scene mailbox that everything gets forwarded to, and you don't have to touch a single mm -hmm. account. So you can have hundreds of accounts that you never have to modify, even if your email provider shuts down. I guess, yes, yeah, simple login could mm -hmm. shut down, and then you're screwed at either way, but then you're back where you started. So you're not losing anything there. And then also, right. same thing here with privacy.com. Like... If you have privacy or even Apple cards Pay. or Apple Pay, like you can you can change the behind the scene card, so you can change banks. You're not tied to a specific bank. You're not going to feel like you're locked into a bank um, because you're using mm -hmm. a service on top to handle all those like transactions for you. So our last story comes from DuckDuckGo, and the browser is now getting end-to-end -end encrypted sync. So the DuckDuckGo browser has unveiled a new end-to-end -end encrypted sync and backup feature that lets users privately and securely synchronize their bookmarks, passwords, and email protection settings across multiple devices. The new feature does not require users to have an account or sign into their existing accounts to use it, and as it is end-to-end -end encrypted, it ensures that DuckDuckGo never has access to the transferred data. The new feature is available in the latest version of the browser for Windows, Mac, iOS, and Android, so syncing can only work between devices on those operating systems and um if you skim the article it looks like it's exactly what it sounds like they basically just use a qr code so which is is good i'm not trying to downplay that i'm just saying you know when because that's my first question is like okay how do you sync without revealing data and like what about keys and all the technical details and it's like oh it's a qr code you can pack a lot of data in a QR code. DuckDuckGo identified that one of the biggest problems users face when switching from Chrome or other browsers is storing their passwords, bookmarks, and data without disclosing them to the provider. The new sync and backup system enables them to do so with total privacy when migrating to new devices. DDG explains that the new system employs local encryption to store the sensitive data when the data is encrypted in transit with a locally stored key. So again, um, QR codes and all that kind of fun stuff. There were actually no research articles this week, so we're gonna go right into politics. Telcos must now tell you when your personal information is stolen. Updated reporting requirements means that telcos in America will have just seven days to officially disclose that a criminal has broken into their systems. The proposal was released in January and gave a 30-day comment period, but now has been published going into effect of March 13th along with requiring that attacks are reported to the FCC within seven days of a telco discovering them. The same deadline now exists to report any data leaks to the FBI and the U.S. Secret Service as well. As the FCC planned, the new rule also eliminates the mandatory seven-day waiting period for reporting break-ins to consumers. The FCC now requires carriers to notify customers of breaches of convert of covered data without unreasonable delay, and in no case more than 30 days following reasonable determination of a breach. Reasonable determination you might be asking, what does that mean? Is further defined as when the carrier has information indicating that it is more likely than not that there was a breach and does not mean reaching a conclusion regarding every, fast, every fact surrounding a data security incident that may constitute a breach. The FCC has additionally extended the scope of data exposure types that telecom providers must be notified of. Prior to the passage of the new rules, customers only had to be told if customer proprietary network information uh, was exposed to the world 
or CPNI. CPNI is all the data a cellular carrier retains about phone calls and service agreements, like the data that appears on a bill. PII wasn't included in previous reporting requirements, meaning carriers whose customer records were exposed didn't have to tell customers if CPNI wasn't accessed. That's going to change now because starting now, names, government ID numbers, data used for authentication purposes, email addresses, passwords, and biometric data is all included in these requirements. Disassociated data, if linkable to an individual using other data criminals access during a break-ins, has to be reported as well. The new rules add an exception, though, for customer notifications. If a carrier can determine that no harm to customers is reasonably likely to occur, that it doesn't have to inform subscribers of the incident. Along with increased reporting rules for the content of data leaks, the new rule also expands the FCC's definition of breach to include inadvertent access, use, or disclosure of customer information. Absolutely. Rock on. Go FCC. Honestly, this is phenomenal. I have nothing but great things to say. I'm curious to see if uh, everyone's going to comply with this properly. Um, and if they actually go along with this, it's nice to see a little bit of a crackdown here. Uh, because I'm all for it. We're going to go to the UK with some unfortunate news. UK to replace physical biometric immigration cards with e-visas. Presently, student workers, uh, students, workers, immigrants, and their dependents from non-EU countries residing in the UK are eventually issued a biometric residence permit, or BRP, Cards which are proof of their immigration status in the country. Much like e-passports, these plastic cards contain a chip that can be used by border force officers to cryptographically verify the authenticity of the document itself and a person's identity via biometrics stored in that chip. Personal note, I just love that they call it border force. That just Maybe it's because of space force, but that just feels like something America would have come up with. Uh, some developed nations, such as Australia, also collect biometrics from immigrants, but in contrast, do not issue physical cards or in-person passport vignettes. Instead, the applicants are granted an e-visa that can be verified online and serves as a digital proof of their immigration status. All UK BRPs issued up until today are set to expire December 31st, 2024, even if your immigration status is valid beyond that date or has no time limit. The reason for this being that while the UK was part of the EU, regulations required the governments to implement next-gen encryption technology into its documents, and as such, the UK planned on rolling out enhanced cards after the end of the year while phasing out existing ones. Since post-Brexit, however, EU requirements no longer apply, and the Home Office has decided to discontinue PRB, uh, BRPs altogether by 2025. And this comes from a webpage on the gov.uk website. You will not need a BRP from January 1st, 2025. You will be able to pr uh, prove your immigration status online without a BRP. Uh, UK visas and immigration will update the information on how to prove your immigration status in early 2024. You do not need to do anything, and your status will not be affected. Um, so unfortunately, the article only noted one downside, which is basically what happens if the system is down and they can't like contact the server to get your information and they failed to address any privacy or discrimination concerns. Uh, I just want to note Privacy International's latest podcast episode discussed how the UK is already pretty heavy handed when it comes to tracking legal immigrants. Uh, like we're talking about legal immigrants. I really want to drive that home. We're not talking about illegals. We're talking about people who applied, came here legally, and are, like, waiting for a judgment. And, like, it's it's pretty crazy. So I, the reason I included this in the, the podcast is just whenever we have these, especially these government databases of, like, particularly vulnerable people that become digitized and centralized like this, I mean, as I'm sure our veteran listeners know, these can present problems. So, um, you know, whether it's hacking, abuse... Um, just, yeah, there's a, a lot of mass surveillance. Obviously there's just a lot of concerns that come with this that at least by this outlet do not seem to be being discussed, unfortunately. So 
So here we are. Okay, this is from the Netherlands. Uh, police intelligence services unlawfully spied on whole population groups. So all police units through the Netherlands uh, have their own intelligence service. They work with the General Intelligence Service, AIVD, and monitor people who could pose a threat to national security. According to CTIVD, which is the Supervisory Committee of the Intelligence and Security Services, man, they picked that acronym, uh, these intelligence services sometimes receive a signal about a person or few persons and then decide to investigate an entire community based on that. There are strict requirements in Dutch law for monitoring an entire community due to the massive invasion of privacy that entails. The intelligence service must first look into obtaining information about suspects in a different way and carefully consider whether such a broad investigation is a proportionate matter. Between February 2023 and July 1st, 2022, that did not happen in three investigations, the CTIVD said. The supervisory body did not say which communities were involved, but did explain that by community, it meant a population group based, for example, on ethnicity, religious belief, or occupational group. So theoretically, the police intelligence services may have been spying on visitors to a certain mosque or protesting farmers. In response to the CTIV revelation, D66 parliamentarian, 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 that sounds better, uh, Juist Sneller demanded a broader debate in Parliament about better supervision of the intelligence and security services. SP parliamentarian, par parliament, par parliamentarian uh, Michel van Nispen is also critical. We already knew that individuals have been followed in a sloppy manner, but it is even worse for entire communities, he said. You know what? I, I think this happened, but I think the scope of this issue is really interesting to me because I feel like in in relative to the issues that we read about the U.S. and what we're seeing in the U.S., this is this is very mellow. And they're all going, whoa, this is bad. We should do something about this. We should debate this. Like, what's going on? And in the U.S., things are like 20, 30, 40, 50 times worse than this all the time, everywhere. And everyone seems to think it's fine, except our bestie, Senator Ron Wyden. I'm, I'm, I'm saying it half-jokingly, but Senator Ron Wyden and his anti-surveillance uh, bills that he passes and the kind of accountability that he tries to add towards companies and the way that we spy on people and how we just add accountability to it. We're not saying don't do it. We're just saying, hey, and that's that's also what they're saying here in, in the Dutch are saying as well. They're saying, hey, we need to be doing other things first before we decide to do this. There needs to be more oversight over this. This seems really crazy. Uh, we should stop doing this. This seems like a big rabbit hole that we don't want to go down. Our last political story comes from Ars Technica, and it says backdoors that let cops decrypt messages violate human rights, EU court says. The European Court of Human Rights, the ECHR, has ruled that weakening end-to-end -end encryption disproportionately risks undermining human rights. The International Court's decision could potentially disrupt the European Commission's propo proposed plans to require email and messaging service to uh, create backdoors that would allow law enforcement to easily decrypt users' messages. So long story short, this happened because of Russia, ironically. Um, Russia requested user data from Telegram, and Telegram was like, we don't have that data, and Russia was like, well, then you need to put in a back door. And uh, Russia basically took, or uh, Telegram basically took Russia to court and was like, we cannot create a backdoor that only the good guys can use. Because, you know, that was Russia's whole thing. Is like, well, we just need data on a few users. And they're like, yeah, but that doesn't matter because it endangers everyone and uh the article says that a lot of privacy advocates backed up telegram's claims uh they also argued that the threat of mass surveillance could be enough to infringe on human rights you know like chills free speech which uh we've discussed before i'm sure 
And in the end, the ECHR concluded that the Telegram users' rights had been violated, partly due to privacy advocates and international reports that corroborated their position, um, Telegram's position. The ruling strikes a blow to authoritarian measures that seek to undermine fundamental rights, uh, said the legal officer for Privacy International. By finding that Russia's efforts to circumvent encryption of online messaging services violated the European Convention on Human Rights, the court sends a clear message to other governments currently uh, toying with similar ideas. Risking the privacy and security of each and every user is certainly not the way to go. So the court here also noticed that this stuff spreads. You know, you, you could... Theoretically, you could say like, okay, Germany is allowed to have a backdoor, but only Germany. But, you know, as we've discussed before, unless you're Apple just trying to be difficult, companies won't typically do two versions of things. So if it becomes legal in one place, I'll just quote them. Such adverse effects are not necessarily limited to the juris, uh, to the jurisdiction imposing the restriction. Rather, it is likely that backdoors, once established in the jurisdiction of one state, will become part of the software used in other parts of the world. And then someone, uh, the EISI, I didn't write down who that is, and I apologize. They pointed out, rather than requiring access to encrypted messages, law enforcement agencies have alternatives. Oh, that's the UN, sorry. So the UN went on to say, rather than requiring access to encrypted messages, law enforcement agencies have alternatives. Uh, improved, better resource traditional policing, undercover operations, metadata analysis, and strengthen international police cooperation. So basically, in other words, do your job. That you already have better tools than you did 20, 30 years ago. You don't need backdoors. While Nate was covering that big story, um, I was looking because I realized I've seen NGINX spelled out on my it's one of those words you only ever see spelled out you never had to say it out loud before and i I was like how the hell do you say this so it's actually really simple it's just nginx okay i've heard it called that but i wasn't sure if that was correct (laughs) yeah nginx so foss nginx core developer quits project insecurity dispute starts free nginx fork so uh, this is currently the world's most popular web server. So if you're uh, somebody, if you're an end user, you've never developed a website or used a web server or anything like that, you probably haven't, haven't seen Nginx, but where you might've seen it is if like a website's down, it'll give you an Nginx error, right? I was literally so, just so, thinking of that. I'm like, you've probably right. seen that screen once or twice. Right, people have definitely seen that screen. You've definitely seen <laughs> Nginx. Anyway, that core developer quit the project in a security dispute, uh, stating that he no longer sees it uh, as a free and open source project for the public good. His fork, though, free NGINX, is going to be run by developers and not corporate entities and will be free from arbitrary corporate actions. Comments on Hacker News, including one by a purported employee of F5, suggest that Downen opposed the assigning of published CVEs to bugs in aspects of QUIC. While QUIC is not enabled in the most default uh, NG. <laughs> Nginx setup. It is included in the application's mainline version, which according to the Nginx documentation contains the latest features and bug fixes and is always up to date. Down and expand on FI's actions in a later mail response, the most recent security advisory was released despite the fact that the particular bug in the experimental HTTP3 code is expected to be fixed as a normal bug as per the existing security policy, and all the developers, including me, agree on this. And while the particular action isn't exactly very bad, the approach in general is quite problematic. Downin reached by email, pointed to his mailing list, responses for clarification. He added, essentially, F5 ignored both the project policy and joint developers' position without any discussion. So he said, screw you all, I'm going home, and I'm going to rename everything to free NGINX, and it's going to be mine now. I'll make my own NGINX. 
with yeah. Blackjack. Henry Engine X and <laughs> Nate Engine X. All right, and that'll take us into Misfits, where we have just one story. A new gold pickaxe Android and iOS malware steals your face for fraud. Um, stick around, because I've seen some articles, the way they present this, it's definitely a lot more alarming than it actually is. But it's close, for the record. A new iOS and Android Trojan named Gold Pickaxe employs a social engineering scheme to trick victims into scanning their faces and ID documents, which are believed to be used to generate deepfakes for unauthorized banking access. The new malware, spotted by Group IB, is part of a malware suite developed by a Chinese threat group known as Gold Factory, which is responsible for other malware strains like Gold Digger, Gold Digger Plus, and Gold Kefu, whatever that is. Gold IB, uh, Gold IB. Group IB says its analysts observed attacks primarily targeting the Asia-Pacific region, mainly Thailand and Vietnam. However, the techniques employed could be effective globally and there's a danger of them getting adopted by other malware strains so this is uh again another fairly technical article for those who want the details uh the article has plenty but basically the attackers would impersonate like a government official they would trick the victims into downloading a malicious app uh which is really interesting because on Android, they just trick you into sideloading. Uh, we talked about that last week in the headline story. That's a real problem in uh, specifically like the Asia Pacific region. But they actually got around iOS actually because they would use test flight, um, which is like iOS's uh, uh, beta program. If you want to sign up for a beta app, you have to sign up for or you have to download test flight and then get accepted into the beta. Or MDMs, mobile device management, which is um, some of you guys might have seen this if you. Uh, if you have a job where they want you to like log into Teams or something like that, it's just another way to get around um, the app store's actual requirements and give them access to your device. Anyways, it says, and then they steal your face, either via the camera or photo access to use for authentication in later banking. Now, the part I just want to drill home is they steal your face via the camera or the photo access because some of the articles I've seen here are like, I, I forget exactly the way they worded it, but they basically imply like this thing will break into your facial recognition chip on your phone and steal that data. And it's like, no, that's not what it's doing. They're tricking you into saying, okay, you need to take a selfie or you need to jump on a call with me and verify who you are, or it'll just access your photo roll and steal photos. That's what it's doing. And in fact, I'm going to quote the last uh, paragraph of the article. It is essential to clarify that while gold pickaxe can steal images from iOS and Android phones showing victims face and trick the users into disclosing their face on video through social engineering, the malware does not hijack face ID data or exploit any vulnerability on the two mobile OSs. Biometric data stored on the device's secure enclaves is still appropriately encrypted and completely isolated from running apps. I don't want to downplay that concern because I do think that is a legitimate concern. And honestly, I think on a long enough timeline, we're probably going to see some kind of vulnerability in that just because software is software and it's bound to happen. But I very easily see how this can, like I said, I've seen at least a couple articles that are already turning this into a super sensationalist thing. And we always try to combat that whenever we can. So that is the story. Yeah. Well, okay. So, uh, I didn't do something I normally do, which is I just quickly like cross-reference any stories that Nate gets in mind. So I'm just going to quickly go through three little stories cause you made it to the end of the podcast and they're, they're super, I'm not going to get into these. We'll leave it in the sources though. Uh, just heads up. Google has enabled OS upgrades for older PCs post windows 10. Uh, so windows 10 is something that like is just not being supported and Google goes, Hey, we're going to allow you to install Chrome OS flex on those devices. 
So kind of cool if you are trying to make use of an old device and you don't want to use Linux for whatever reason, which would probably be the natural instinct. Uh, this is another option for you. Um, on the similar note, Asahi Linux is essentially Linux on MacBooks and uh, pretty, pretty much their OpenGL support, uh, they consider to have officially surpassed Apple's own support for it. So they're making a lot of progress there on the GPU side of things. And then also there's just a little write-up here uh, on AI Girlfriends and how they're data harvesting horror show and it's kind of a fun write-up. So yeah, we'll leave those three in the description for you all to dig into a little bit more uh, if you want to look into those stories. That's it for the week. Again, India is trying to ban ProtonMail. ExpressVPN has been leaking DNS requests. Should have picked Team Blue or Green, guys. Come on. No, uh, definitely check out the resources, uh, like any of our resources about good VPNs to choose. Um, Apple confirms they're breaking PWAs on purpose, but are also adding virtual cards to Apple Pay. An EU court has ruled backdoors illegal and a lot more. Again, if you like this podcast and get value from it, we really appreciate everybody who's supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash surveillance pod. We just couldn't do it without all of you. So thank you all so much. Um, and if you don't like Patreon, so valid. Uh, definitely go check out LibraPay and also Monero. We support those as well for all you people who don't like Patreon for reason XYZ, whatever it is. Um, and again, thank you for listening to the podcast. The final thing I just want to say is I just appreciate you all being here um, and taking yourself and your digital rights and your safety a little bit more seriously and also helping support the people around you as well. I think it's a big deal. And I think being informed is a big part of that. So thank you all for being here and we'll see you next week.